Hey guys, it's Eric here from Not Your Mama's Christian Podcast, the podcast you are currently listening to. Hopefully you're doing that on purpose. Um, I wanted to give you guys a little disclaimer. We have Thomas Purefoy, who directed Is Genesis History, on this podcast. We had a great interview with him. Um, when we started editing the podcast, though, we realized that um, our, our track during the interview, for some reason, came out a little distorted. Uh, we have no idea why. Technology kind of sucks sometimes, and we found that out the hard way. We've done many interviews at this point all the same way, but for some reason, this one turned out a, a little distorted. So we did the best we could to adjust our our track, but you can still understand us. You can still hear us, but it, it's it's definitely a little distorted. But we thought the interview was was went so well that we should not get rid of it all together and we should still release this episode so we apologize to thomas and and for everyone that was part of his genesis history uh that our part of the interview is so distorted but it's it is what it is i guess so again sorry about that but we hope you can find a way to enjoy this this episode even with all that thanks guys for listening now let's get to the episode Your mama, Christian podcast. Yeah, I was, I was, I was over. Oh, I'm so wild without saying anything. You like that? No. Welcome. <laughs> that Welcome everybody. Good. Thanks for joining us on Not Your Mama's Christian Podcast, a Christian podcast that doesn't take itself too seriously. My name is Shane, and I'm your host, Topper. Hey, buddy. Hey, hey. How you doing? You're not good. making him say anything, Topper. I was throwing off. Didn't know it too. Topper, could you say? Eric sucks. Eric sucks. That's right. Tom, Eric, calm down, buddy. I do what What's the host up, says. What's up, guys? The three hosts. Yeah. I need to make sure people know that because Shane only says he's the host. Hey, how long? All have, three of us are hosts. I got a question. Yes. How long have we been doing this? A podcast? Yeah. Almost. Uh, July. I think we started uh, in July. 2015. Last, 2016. Yeah. 20, <laughs> last year. Last yeah. year. July of 2016. Wow. So we're, we've had a lot of ups and a mostly downs. <laughs> <laughs> Mainly downs. <laughs> Mainly downs, but no, I'm just kidding. It's, yeah, no, we've been doing it for, it's going to be a year coming up. We should do yeah. a year anniversary show. Wow. Yeah, we should have every guest on at the same time. Oh, gosh. <laughs> uh, none of, most of them don't want to come back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, Topper, I got a question for you now. Uh-huh. How long have we been friends? Oh, boy. Let me see here. You guys have technically been friends longer than Topper and I have been Let friends. Me see Even though I met here. Topper at the same time, you, yeah, I don't like him at first. Oh yeah, mm. that's right. See, Topper, has there <laughs> ever been a time where I didn't like you? Yes. When what? you first oh, met there, him, there's something I don't know. Uh, oh, and you guys got in a fight once because Topper threw a baseball at you. Yeah. <laughs> you got in a fight. So are we, are we counting friendship from then on? Yeah. No. <laughs> no. Friendship from the how? How old were it's, we? It's been honestly, I think about almost twenty years. Almost twenty years. Because you were in first um, grade when we met you. You were maybe well, going so into I first grade. When I met you, I was going into first grade. Yeah. But I don't Eric know if we started in, hanging yeah. out right then though. we were friends it was around pretty then. close after well, we were elementary school pretty close and so uh yeah we met we met a long time but yeah our only fight ever in the history of our 20 years of friendship we're playing baseball not wiffle ball topper so real hard baseball a real baseball now here's baseball the thing. we also play a lot of wiffle ball we did growing up as kids and we don't as much anymore but i would love to 
play again. And with wiffle ball, when, if the ball is hit to you, you can throw the ball. You can at, peg them. You can peg, a, you can peg the yeah, runner yeah. running if they're not on a base. And if it hits them, then they're out, right? Yep, that's, yeah, you can peg them. So Topper, I'm running from like second to third, and we're playing with a baseball that yep. was hit to Topper. <laughs> Topper grabbed this baseball and just threw it at my back while I was running from second to third. Just knocked me on the ground. I pegged him. Yeah, and you knew. He tried to play the card of like, I'm a little kid. Well, I was. I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, well, you were. I, I didn't know any Because you are, how much younger are you from Shane? Two years from Shane. And four, four from, from me. So um, I remember when he threw it, Shane started crying about it. It hurt. And he would not let it go. I got a strong Cause, arm. Cause <laughs> just like Shane does now, if he gets mad, you'll have to hold on forever. He was holding that, like, <laughs> he was holding that baseball thing all day. And I he saying, never apologized. He didn't need to apologize. He didn't know. He said, I no, he said, I don't you know. know. The rules weren't made clear. Yeah, so that that's could, on the rule keeper, you. which was what? probably you. Are you so talking about it? So it was about? your fault. But how do we meet? How do we meet Topper? So we met Topper at the community pool, yep. Winwood Community Pool. Represent Winwood yep. Community Pool, hey, hey, which is where we grew up. Mm. And uh, we were. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know it was like a hoo hoo hey hey uh, whatever. <laughs> and w- so Eric and I were brothers, and we were at the pool with. A, and our mom said, "Knew my mom knew Topper's parents." Yes. And so she said, "Hey guys, here's some money. Here's this new. Here's here's this kid, Eric." Topper, and she introduced us to him. Uh, why don't you go take him over to the snack bar and buy him a snack? Here's some money to buy him a snack. And Eric and I are thinking, you know, I'm like, oh, this kid's. We're, we're both like, this kid's a little kid. We don't want to hang out with him. Four years difference at that time for Eric. It still is today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I haven't but, gotten older than you guys. <laughs> I'm, I'm not increasing in a different rate. But it, it's a big age gap when you're in elementary school. And two years is even a big age gap. And so we take him to the snack bar, and we're like, Topper, what do you want? And Topper, what'd you say? I said I wanted a pretzel rod. A pretzel rod. Do you know how much a pretzel rod costs? <laughs> a nickel. Five nickel. cents. Five cents. Well, nickel it was a lot more back then. But when we asked <laughs> <laughs> when we asked him, he would barely say it. He yeah. was so shy to he be was around terrified. us. He was just, like sh- really shy. Like, what do you want? He's like, oh, pretzel rod. And like, what do you, what did you say? Pretzel run. And we're like, what do you want? And he finally said it loud enough we yeah. could hear all pretzel one yeah. single. That's all you want? Pretzel you want a snowball. <laughs> yeah, immediately we went, that's it. You're what nachos. I can't imagine how you felt ordering that. Yeah. <laughs> said, Can I get one single pretzel? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even know that snack bar sold pretzel runs. <laughs> no, I knew. I see, I was a courteous kid. Yeah. My parents always taught me never to take advantage of other people. Yeah. So you it know was what? your I was parents' like, money. So I it was, was like, our parents' money. It was your parents' oh. money. So I was like, no, you know what? I want to be I'm gonna be courteous. You know and what? That still is this is a reasonable price. I'm going with a pretzel yeah. rod. Yeah. <laughs> and that's still always been the case with Topper. You would think he lives with me. Up. He took a fun dip out of my drawer. I confessed without today. Asking. I confessed today. He confessed today. You did? I, I said, did. hey, you, you want a fun changed. dip? <laughs> I know. He said, where's the old topper? I said, hey, you want a fun dip? He's like, I gotta tell you something. I did take one fun dip. I can't believe you. I have like forty individual packs of fun dip. Yeah. I should have never, never done it. He's raising my rent. Yeah. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I, crazy. I said, we'll just put in your rent then. It'll be five cents. But in all the years growing up, we Topper would be over our house and we'd be like, Topper, you want a drink? You want this? And he would always say no the first time. No, no, I'm good. 
topic. Seriously, we've been <laughs> friends for multiple years now. Do you do you want one? Well, I mean, only if you have enough. <laughs> yeah, always courteous. Yeah, oh, yeah. We, I. That's why I offered it to you. <laughs> I mean, he's a good friend to have. He is. He's better friend than you are a brother. Absolutely, <laughs> that so, is without a doubt. But but so for the people that don't know us, that that listen and don't really know us three, we just wanted to give you like a little bit of the origins. Nobody cares of, <laughs> us, Nobody of cares. how I how we met Topper and how this all started. Then um our mom started watching him at daycare. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, yeah. so he would come over my to to daycare and we would just hang out yeah. and then that's when we became friends and best friends ever since he'd walk down to our house every single day after school not immediately after school because he'd have to poop at 3 30 <laughs> every day that and is then, yeah. then, I, then I would go schedule. hang out with you guys for about two hours two hours come home for dinner at five o'clock and guaranteed you cannot change that no no, no. Poop no at matter 3:30 what we're doing. every single day yeah. dinner at five every single day then you come back and with a glass out. of milk He'd always drink a glass of milk with dinner. Yeah, yeah. He was he was very, very structured with yeah, that yeah. stuff. I mean his parents were too. And so five o'clock, there he goes, and he comes back. It was it was sweet. And then he'd come back and eat dinner with our parents. He ate dinner <laughs> I had twice. Two dinners so many times. <laughs> <laughs> then when you guys could start driving, I would go eat at home and then you're like, Hey, we're gonna get Burger King. I was like, Oh gosh. <laughs> All right, fine. Yeah. But but we wanted to talk about the origins of us because we interviewed a director. Um, that directed a documentary called Is Genesis History? Good question. So <laughs> I was like, I didn't ask a question. I was like, oh, the title. Um, and the director's name is Thomas Purifoy. And we asked him just a bunch of different questions about um, his documentary. We've never interviewed a director before. So that was kind of cool to interview a director nervous. the first time. Were you? Nope. Yeah, you don't, you don't normally seem nervous <laughs> with interviews. Um, but but we, Shane, both Shane and I watched the documentary. Um, Topper, we had to schedule during work hours, so Topper, um, Top, Topper couldn't be there. Um, but with watching the documentary, no matter what your thought process is on whether the world was created like the Bible says, or whether it's evolution, a Big Bang, or kind of a mix in between, this is still a pretty interesting documentary yeah. um, for everybody. Even if you're on the opposite side, it's good to know what the other side thinks and, and challenge what you're thinking. Um, and so we kind of talked to Thomas a little bit about some of that stuff and just some of the documentary and, and some of the things he's found. So we hope you guys enjoy this interview. You guys have anything else before we get to the interview? Nope. Huh? Topper, do you want any? Do you have any press rods at home? I do. I got some upstairs. You want some? I do. Mine are kind of stale, but... I've been eating them. Uh, well, then, sorry <laughs> well, to tell your you. Your rent has now been lowered. <laughs> Shane, why don't you go ahead and go get a pretzel rod for everybody? And you'll mail a pretzel rod to all of our listeners if you just send your address what? With, you, with your bank card. I'm so glad I don't have to, this job. It's not going to hold up. <laughs> sounds, sounds miserable. I'll so, send you a nickel to buy one yeah, pretzel rod. At your local pool. Yeah. Anyways, let's get to our interview with Tom. here by by thomas who directed um is genesis history thomas thank you for joining us we really appreciate it that's fun glad to be here thanks for the invitation so um thomas what what made you decide to make this documentary why did you feel like this is something that you had to make that was important well yeah it's a good question i you always kind of wonder where ideas for films come from i mean it's a great comment uh, francois truffaut and his beginning of his film uh, day for night he says, you know, films come from all different strange places, and you never really know where one is coming from. 
And I think in this case, my this one right here probably came out of a conversation I had with my 10-year-old daughter at the time. She's now 14. Um, but she had just seen the Ken Ham Bill Nye debate or was watching it. Yep. As a 10-year-old was kind of intrigued. She not I mean, we we're evangelical Christians brought up, you know, hey, the Bible is the word of God and it's an accurate book of history. And she realized she's a pretty sharp girl that what was being argued wasn't really scientific per se. I mean, that scientific is an aspect of it. Really what was going on was a different view of history. Yeah. And I think that's what was going on. The reason a lot of kids, I mean, I was one when I was 15, and when they, the issue they start getting at with basically the evolutionary old earth view of the world, and those are, some people separate them. I would put the old earth view, as the evolutionary view is the dominant mechanism within the old earth view yeah. today. Yeah. It's a different form of history. And it's basically presenting events that are very different. And I think kids, the reason they, they get this and adults are able to nuance it out and say, well, it may be a different history, but I'm just going to believe it anyway because it makes it a lot easier. Kids don't. And so it made me realize that there were some things that I had not, you know, questions that she was asking. I was like, well, I don't really have a good answer for that anymore. Yeah. Years since I would researched this. So I thought, you know, maybe there is a, um, a documentary here. I taught youth group, asked a lot of questions in youth group, realized these kids were hearing the same things, and then realized as well alongside this, began to see a lot of what was going on with this group BioLogos that was starting to push into the church with theistic evolution and realized that, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. A lot of evangelicals were starting to get re-enamored with theistic evolution. I mean, this was an idea that came out of the late 19th century, and so everything old is new again, and so that was the latest inroad. So realizing that, that these kids were still having the same questions and realizing that it seemed like there was a new siren song going on to up to for evangelicalism i thought well maybe a documentary talking to scientists looking at the actual data and looking at a lot of things simultaneously might be use yeah i've seen a i've seen a lot of stuff and documentaries when it comes to the evolution side but i haven't seen a ton of stuff when it comes to the creation side and just talking about the science and history and even even talk about it in the documentary like look at the ancient text i haven't seen a ton of that yeah. stuff so i thought it was really interesting to me to get that other side that i feel like we grew up in a christian home so we we kind of were built with that foundation of it but for all of our friends that don't necessarily believe this side of it to get that history part of it and and other scientists where they never even really heard of it you know what i'm saying no i think that that's been the point is that there has been a need to um, isolate and basically alienate, and in, and in some ways, let's just even say uh, mock or ignore or you know, I wouldn't even say damn with faint praise, damn by damning, uh, and saying oh this is wrong and bad science and these guys are idiots and anything we can do so you don't hear it and so that's what I realized. I mean Steve Austin said no one's ever done this before. He's been in this forty years. He got his PhD in the seventies at UPenn, and he was like. No one wants to hear and talk about this. And so I think that was the big deal is that the conventional view knows if you can control all of the avenues of information, if you can control the past. I mean, this is like 1984 stuff. This is why when you look at Ingsoc, the first thing it says, of you know, George Lovell's I-84 is that he who controls the past controls the present. And he who controls the present controls the future. So I would argue that this is an attempt to control history. And therefore, if I can control the history, well, then there's no place for your view of Revelation to even take root. Yeah. So 
that to me, I feel like it needed to be addressed because no one's talking about it. And there was a, a pretty strong push on all sides against this view. Yeah. yeah. Well, I thought that it was really cool because throughout the documentary, you guys go to different locations throughout uh, all, you know, a whole bunch of different, and, and a lot of times you, you spent in the Grand Canyon and looking at all the, the way that the earth is, has been shaped and formed and different situations. And so how long did it take you guys to, to shoot this documentary going from location to location to figure out um, the best uh, picture of, of a creation sort of interpretation of Genesis? Well, I started filming it um, June uh, 2015 and ended up June 2016. So it was basically a okay. year of actual filming. We started probably in September of 2015. We really started to push hard and had kind of finished up in many ways about by about March, April, and then picked up Dells. That last sequence we had to film in June because the, the, I mean, the mountains are covered with snow up until the summer. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but we had a pretty aggressive filming schedule, and we kind of go from place to place every few weeks um, and spend two or three days or more. Oh. So um, it was a matter of just kind of choosing our locations and getting it all sorted out and then hammering it out. Oh, that's awesome, yeah. Um, so for the camp, I, I feel like there's a camp now, and, and I even find myself kind of lean towards this camp sometimes, that um, they don't necessarily care whether it was evolution or creation they just know god made the world so what why is it important for people to understand the history and science and all that kind of stuff and actually figure out how the world was created instead of just saying well i know it was created there's a creator so we'll just go from there well i mean it'd be like someone kind of saying hey you know i became a millionaire and you're like well okay how yeah. well it doesn't really matter how you know you're yeah. like well, what <laughs> it honest? Was it dishonest? Uh, was it inherited? What goes on? We judge everything by what actually happened. And what actually happened makes a really big difference in the present. And so I think this question of a lot of it, I think, is just basically, I don't want to basically get uncomfortable and I don't want to deal with the data or where it's going to lead one way or the other. So yeah. I'm just going to say, well, it all just kind of happened and I don't want to think about it. And it's a little bit, I would say, it's a little bit for a lot of folks like growing up in a mob household and not actually knowing what does your parents do to get all their money. <laughs> but if you find out, it could mean that that money really isn't yours or honest or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that's a big deal here, that there, there needs to be an intellectual honesty and, to be quite honest, recognition that what happened in the past is basically all the Bible cares about. There's a good reason when you read Luke, He's talking to Theophilus, and he says, hey, Theophilus, you're asking these questions. You grew up or were at least converted. He may have been an older, you know, a Greek guy who changed his name to yeah. lover, of, you know, friend of God, lover of God. Yeah. You've been asking these questions. Let's go research it. And so I'm going to tell you just so your faith will be more certain. Then he spends all this time going into the details. And I think that's the issue is when you look at the Bible from beginning to end, dates, times, places, people, things, all the things we would say, that's the mark of history. They're all the way through it, yeah. and they go all the way back to Genesis, um, and Luke himself links it all together in Luke chapter 3 and says, hey, Jesus, he baptized. He's called the Son of God, and guess what? What does he do? He goes to a genealogy, and he links it all back to Adam, yeah. also the Son of God, and then he goes and takes it to the temptation. So, yeah. hey, here we go. That's why Milton picks it up. Paradise you know, regained is back to the temptation, and so I think this is the issue is unless you realize that what happened in the past really matters and that something actually happened and what that actual happening has consequences today, 
then in a sense you kind of move yourself out of the discussion and give it over to whoever the majority view is. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point, actually. Well, I think that it would be the same thing as saying, like, uh, we, we would never say that American history isn't important either. Like, we would go back and we want to know how we got started as a country, where we came from, the mistakes that we made, the good things that we did to try to learn and grow from it. And that would be absurd for, to, to suggest to our public school system, hey, don't teach American history anymore because it's just not important. Of course it's important. We understand the value that goes along with it. And the same goes for creation as well. But um, uh, how about this? Uh, a lot of people don't believe that science and the Bible work well together. Um, uh, or, or that sometimes people even think that they are opposites or enemies. And obviously from watching the documentary, we can see that science and, and God do work together. And, and God isn't scared of science. But for people who haven't seen the documentary yet, how would you address that, that the, the opposition of science and the Bible? Well, I mean, this... This all came out of the late 19th century. I think it was a book that was written called The War Between Science and the Bible. And if you look back historically, you realize that this is this is would be a strange idea that you say to someone like Newton or any number of great – so the greatest scientist ever would say you, – you, you'd bring this up. They'd say that's just a weird concept. What it is is this is a narrative, a meta-narrative that has been imposed and then everything has been forced to fit into it. So when people talk about science – well. What a strange thing to say. We wouldn't talk about religion. So you and I would say, well, religion tells us that, you know, religion tells us that, you know, God made man in his image. And you have a lot of folks that were Buddhists that say, well, that's not what I believe. Yeah. And as Christians, well, religion tells us that you got to be baptized, you know, be a believer. We say, well, that's not what – the problem is that it's a personification and simplification of something. And when we do that with science, well, there's no one that answers to the name of science. There's no one that is science. Berlinski points this out in his book called The Devil's Delusion. Many Christians, because they've not studied what science really is, well, they don't actually, they're very much taken. It's like the Wizard of Oz. They very much are saying, oh, there's a scary guy telling us what to do. And then you kind of get behind it and you're like, that's just a man. And he's kind of pulling the buttons. Yeah. And Kurt lies. I mean, so let's just take, I'll quote Kurt here. Kurt got his PhD from Harvard. He was offered five PhD positions in five different schools around the United States. He chose Harvard under Stephen Jay Gould. So creationist, who his mentor was one of the greatest evolutionists in the late 20th century. They got to be very good friends. And Kurt's comment is that if Christians understood what science really was, none of this would even be an issue. Yeah. So the problem is that Steve Gould would complain about this idea of science and religion and say, that's not even realistic. He was not a Christian. But he said, this is just a, this is really a myth. Yeah. And guys like Martin Rudwick, again, theistic evolutionist, they're quick to say that's not right. And so I think many Christians who do this, who take Dawkins or some of these views, they just are, they just basically are choosing to live in a world that is misinformed and they're living with a narrative that's not even accurate that non-Christians don't hold to anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like some of the things you're saying is like, I'm so bad with science that it's kind of described me like, yeah, whatever, whatever the science kind of says, whatever people got to yeah. say. I feel like I'm being like convicted of this <laughs> stuff. Yeah. But yeah. no, I'm just going to say, that, yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, this idea is that we're told, oh, we got an iPhone, we we can talk with computers. Well, science has given us that. Yeah. Science is that people that are inventors have worked simply to understand the world that God has made, and so the first scientist was Adam who was basically categorizing the animals and looking at something inside of them, some aspect, some essence, if you will, because, I mean, even we now, you can a dog's a dog's a dog, and you go to these natural history museums, and guess what? I went to Vienna, 
They put all these fossils and they group them together in kinds. You see all the bears, old and new, you see all the cats. And so there's clearly science is really the ability to understand and categorize, to predict, to explain the world God has created, which is categorizable, predictable, explainable, and most importantly, can explainable by math. So, I mean, this is the whole science is the, the revelation in a sense or the rediscovery by Galileo and Copernicus and other guys that that math is a huge deal. And so we still hold to this, but you're like, this leads you all the way to the 20th century in a, you know, this fascinating essay by a guy named, I guess it Wegener wrote it. Is that right? Wegener? Uh, he wrote the, the, uh, the unreasonable effectiveness of math in the physical sciences. He's like, there's no reason math should work. Like, why does it work? Yeah. And, these are the things that Christians would go and say, well, of course it works because God created math in these structures and he made the whole world this way. Yeah. But again, I think the issue goes that Christians need to be studying these things because the more you study them and you get the data, you're like, this isn't at all. In fact, this actually supports a view of a creator God far more than it does right. this idea of a random world that just kind of appeared. Yeah. You know, an iPhone appeared. So. <laughs> well, and that's how I think that a lot of Christians have gotten to the place where we know that we will never fully understand everything that this world has to offer. We know that we will never fully get a, a grasp of every knowledge that there is. And so a lot of times we get to the point where we, where we just say, well, you just need to believe. Instead of actually seeking out facts and truth and trying to understand things better to support our faith and to strengthen our faith more. And so uh, when you were talking about how Science, you know, it's not like the, that, that's not a person who, who we have to answer to or or, or whatever. Um, a lot of times it's like when Christians throw out, well, God told me this and you can't you can't respond to it because how can you tell somebody? Well, no, God didn't tell you that. And so the God card. That Trump yeah, the God card. And so a lot of times people will throw out the science card and you can't really even respond to it if you don't know the science behind it. But if you know the, the science behind it, then there's at least a conversation that could be had. Well, you get a quick question. Like, well, according to whom? Yeah. Which scientist? Right. What journal article? And then how many scientists disagree? Because what most people don't realize, this is what Kuhn, Thomas Kuhn got to when he was doing his book. So he basically was doing a study on the history of mechanics and motion. He's a famous physicist, became a historian of science. And he began to realize that, well, these guys in the past – They've all been rejected their views, Aristotle and others. And yet when you look at their world, they seem like they were scientists and everyone accepted it and a lot of it worked. Take the take for instance the geocentric view of the universe. It was very, very effective. The Earth is a center. They made lots of predictions. Guys like Magellan and all the other guys, they sailed the seven seas and discovered yeah. the world, assuming this was all true. So what does it mean then if this theory works but isn't true? Yeah. So what does this even mean? And so the more you study the history of science, this is what Kuhn realized is it demonstrates a view of understanding the world that is paradigmatic. And as a result, you have to say, well, who's doing it? Who, where's the paradigm? What are they thinking? And so when people say science says, you're, you always go to who says, yeah. when and where, and who is disagreeing with them? Because I bet that if they're on the outside edge, there will be 10 guys that will disagree, yeah. plus 10 different views. Right. We need to be responsible with what we are believing. I've, I've, I've seen articles that talk about... Um, today like scientific research or just random stuff from like coke being good for you and random stuff like that where there's all these scientific research that they only make money if they can find something or find something that's different so because of that they force stuff to be different or they'll make a headline of um this is now good for you or this 
uh, chocolate milk, good for you now? And then you click it, and then you read it and go, oh, it's actually not. But they need to do that in order to make money. So you always have to be looking at how it's being funded, what what, is, what camp they're in, and then, like you said, like the opposition as well. Well, it's, I think the bigger point is that God has made a world that is usable and functional and in sense knowable, but we're pretty limited, and the world's pretty big and way more complex. And so although there are many things we can learn and know and do, there should be a certain level of humility of everybody. This is a young earth creation. This is an old earth creation. Everybody's saying, you know what, there's a lot I don't understand. And that they, we think that, quote, science, these people, scientific method is going to figure it out. And yet there's, it's, there's limitless things. Your good scientists are saying, whoa, there's a lot more we don't understand than we know. Which is why, to me, it comes back to the reason the Bible is not a science textbook. In the sense of saying it's not making statements about the natural world in a way that is trying to fathom it. It's telling us what happened. History fits on a totally different ground. So, for instance, it said that Jesus turned water to wine. It does not tell us how. Yeah, yeah. Um, but if you were there and you drank it, it'd be wine. And you'd be like, that was water 10 minutes before, and now it's yeah, wine. Yeah. And so there's a. this is not faith. It's totally rational. All these guys in the Bible, it's not like it'd be irrational. What would be irrational is to see a guy raised from the dead and suddenly yeah. say, oh, that's just normal. Yeah. That would be rational. And so this is the thing. is The Bible is, does not always give us the mechanism. We can try to understand them in places. Some of these flood geologists may try to understand the mechanism of the flood. Interesting. Some may be right. Some may be wrong. But the historical statements, and that's always my concern. Many evangelicals, because they are trying to fit the latest contemporary view of science, whatever it is, let's talk about whether it's a billions of year old Earth or whatever the view is. I mean, theistic evolution as well, that man evolved. They're trying to take that and marry it to the Bible. Well, then they've got to start monkeying with the text. And we all see it, you know. I mean, here's the best story. I had my, she was a 13-year-old, sitting across the table from a, a, a systematic theology professor at one of the top seminaries who kind of said, well, you know, I don't really believe the Bible, Genesis is really, you know, six days or real days, and I believe it's long periods of time, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I, you know, I wasn't going to, uh, he's a great guy. I like him. He's a believer. And I kind of let it go. My daughter turned around later, this is a 13 or 14-year-old, and she's like, well, he's not even reading this in context. He said, and she kind of listed about three or four things that anyone reading it would say in context. You know, yeah. what about morning? What about evening? What about Exodus chapter 20 when it talks about days? What about Jesus talking about this? She kind of listed all these out. <laughs> like, I, this doesn't even seem like he fits the text. And yet you realize there are a lot of very smart men and women who feel the pressure of needing to, you know, fit this view of the long ages into the biblical text. So they start monkeying with it. Yeah. But your average person looks at this and says, it seems like you're monkeying with the text. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, uh, that's a good point. So when, when, when you were making this film and going through all these different situations, a lot of times when, when we're trying to find out more, more information or, or when we are challenging really what we know and believe as, as fact and true and faith, um, sometimes we can try to justify what we already believe uh, and look for things that just support your belief prior to, to looking at this. So did you have any of those moments in creating this film of, wow, this is different than what I had originally thought, or, or did your mind change on anything, or did you have any of those sort of situations? Well, I mean, I think probably the most useful way I look at the film is that the paradigmatic thinking, there is no fact that sits outside a conceptual framework. Us, anyone. And that's so that you have to kind of step away from that and say all data, and this is, I mean, I was talking to a geologist the other day, talking about 
different types of layers, and he gave six different ways of looking at the rocks, and he said, but we have been taught to think this way. He's a, I mean, he was not talking about a Christian view. He said, and the problem is that this view of we have been taught, none of us can get past that. Yeah. So when we came to this, I came to it saying, you know, I think the text is true, so what is the data fit? So in many cases, what I found that were more revelations to me, because there's a lot of data out there that was like, whoa, I had no idea that even existed. Like, one of the things that fascinated me are just these huge mega sequences. I mean, Leonard Sloss, or Lawrence Sloss, Larry Sloss did this in the 50s, secular geologist, who said, there are these huge sequence packages that stretch over the entire continent of North America. And they're very unusual and big, but there's, you know, at least five and six, if you count the top one, and they are enormous. <laughs> they go a long way. And so how, what lays this stuff down? Now, he said, you know, slow and placid ocean. But the point is, is that yeah, that can be also interpreted much more like a global flood. And those are the, the, this data is fascinating. The fact that all these layers, we've had guys, 90% of those layers have no bioturbation, meaning there aren't little creatures that dig you down like we see in the today digging in bio area. They're all perfectly, you can walk, you can go by a road cut and see them like, wow, those things sure look flat to have taken a long ages between these. And so that, there are so many things that you, we can actually observe and then you just change the way that you're looking at it. You're like, that actually makes a lot of sense this way. Yeah. And, and this is, yeah. I mean, I, I, feel, I think those are good at a lot of pieces that just really were fascinating to me to say I had no idea that even existed. And it fits really well within what Genesis is telling us. That's awesome. So how do you, how would someone that's listening right now who is trying to figure out whether they believe creationism or evolution or what is the truth, how do they go about doing that? without just trying to justify what they believe and actually figure out what is actual truth and fact. How, how would, what would you recommend someone listening do? Well, I mean, I think Steve Boyd says it best. You have to start with the text. You have to look at the Bible and say, okay, let's read the original text. Let's go read Genesis you know, 1 through 12 and say, what does it look like? And then go back and say, well, what did other parts of the Bible say about it? So what does Moses say? What does Jesus say? What does Paul say? Yeah. And I think that's the first step is you got to start with the text and say, does it seem that the text is presenting this just looking at it? And I mean, when you look at the history of Jesus, go back to Josephus, they all held, it was a young earth, there's a real Adam, the global flood, I mean, a real Abraham. And these are not things that have ever been questioned really until the Enlightenment in the 18th century. And so it's curious in the history of, of textual criticism. I mean, people will bring up Augustine and a few of the allegorists at point, but Augustine didn't believe in an old earth. Augustine believed he, he had a strange view about the God creating the world in a second and playing it out to six days in order for the angels to understand it because it's a Neoplatonist idea. He doesn't fit into the old earth creationist view of these roles. He believed in the global flood and the real Adam and all these things. All the allegorists, when you get down to it, they had a literal view of history. So I would say... As a believer, you got to go understand all of the text first and say, is this history? I believe all the rest of it's history, yeah, so yeah. why do I have a problem holding that? Then you pick up a book like The New Creationism by Paul Garner. Go pick up a book by Hugh Ross. Read some of Hugh Ross's stuff, Old Earth Creationist. Go pick up another book by, by an evolutionary, uh, theistic evolutionist and say, what are they saying? And how does it fit with the text? I mean, I think there's some great book, uh, uh, Young, Davis Young, great really smart guy out of Calvin. He's got some great books on the age of the earth, but you start reading them and you're like, you don't deal with the text. Your view of the text totally falls apart. You can't sustain it. And so that's the big problem to me is that, yeah, I, I appreciate the view of geology, but here's the thing. I've studied the history of geology. These ideas have changed in the past 200 years. 
catastrophism, which was totally poo-pooed by Hutton and Lyell back in the early part of the 19th century, it came back in the 70s. And now, guess what? The neo-catastrophists are back. And whoa, things were, not the flood. They always say this, not the flood, not the flood. <laughs> Boy, there's some big sequence packages over the entire parts of the world. Yeah. There are some very curious things, but not the flood. I mean, it's that old saying, you know, me thinks she protests too much. They always <laughs> are bringing up, it's not young earth creation, I promise you. Even though it may kind of look like it, I promise you it's not. Yeah. <laughs> so, so... <laughs> study you got to study yeah awesome so after this this film has come out what has been the general reaction that you have received from the from the documentary so far oh i would say that the reviews on amazon are a perfect example there's tons of five stars and a and a handful of no stars like once you either they either folks love it or they hate it and i think that that's a deal there is um in general, there has been a lot of people that I think are what Tim Challey said is the quiet majority. There are a lot of people that open their Bibles and they read the text and they say, seems like six days, seems like a global flood, yeah. seems like a real Adam. Uh, I, I, you know, I've read my Bible a few times and it kind of seems like that. I have to work to think. I had a guy this morning on Facebook. He was saying, well, you know, people in my church. A lot of them haven't even heard of old earth creation. And I was like, well, why do you have to hear of it? You know, yeah. is, is it the Bible or is it not? Yeah. Um, and so I think that the general response has been very positive because, like you said at the beginning, no one's really done a documentary on this. And I think there's a lot of interest to people to say, you know what, this is kind of reasonable. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, it, it is. I mean, I think a lot of folks believe the Bible tells us about history and they kind of believe the 99.9% .9 of it. So why not that 0.1% at the beginning? Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So um, what do you want people, no matter what side they fall on when it comes to, um, to this idea, what do you want them to do after they see this kind of, after they see your documentary? So right after they see it, what would you recommend somebody, no matter where they fall, what would you recommend they do next? Go back and read the Bible. Go read Genesis. Go read, you know, Romans chapter 5. Go read Jesus in talking about Luke and, and, and you know, Matthew 19, talking about from the beginning. Um, go read Romans 1. Go read actually what the text is saying. Go read you know, Exodus 20, um, where Moses is given the or basically God's given the Ten Commandments, which curiously enough, if you think about, came before Genesis. So God gave the Ten Commandments and tells Moses this on the mountain. Then later on, wherever he was, you know, the plains of Midian or wherever he wrote Genesis, he wrote Genesis. So many years later. So that's really our first point. God himself is saying in the fourth commandment, look, I structured your week on the week that I did back in the garden. Like that's the or back in the first six days. That's the whole point. You know, he could have done it in a second. Sure. Could he have done it in billions of years? If he wanted to, he could have. But he revealed to us he did it in six days. Yeah. And so me, revelation is what you have to trust. And that's what it comes back to. So anything I'd want, go back to the Bible and read it. That's awesome. really good. Thomas, uh, can you just tell everyone how they can um, see this documentary, how they can get it, and just some, some information about it? Yeah, so isgenesishistory.com is probably the best way to find all the ways, the flavors uh, that you can find it in. I mean, we sell it in, obviously, DVD, Blu-ray. It's on our site, on Amazon, on Lifeway, on Christian Book Distributor. Lots and lots of distributors out there. Uh, you get uh, video on demand. So, again, on our site, iTunes, Amazon, all the different ways Google people get it. Um, and we also have church licenses, and I think we're about to add in something called Gather, which you can bring it back into the theater uh, oh, if you wow. want kind of a new system and way of doing that. So some folks are interested in doing that. So 
there are lots of ways to get to the film today with our what you know scientists have given us through the internet. So uh, you know that, that's the nice thing. Yeah, so that, it's a that great, one scientist. Good. <laughs> It's good that God gave us light and electricity and all these supplies and all those things. Let's not talk about those that are enable us to use it, but you know, that aside, yes, there are great a lot of ways that we can see it today. And so is genesishistory.com is probably the best route to get to it. Awesome. Well, we we uh we recommend everyone checking it out. Yeah. And Tom, thanks for uh, joining us and um, challenging us. Yeah. Especially I feel like I gotta read some more books and yeah. stuff too. Yeah. I feel like I was uh, yeah, yeah. reading is the best. Yeah. You gotta read. I mean, that, and that's it. A lot of people don't want to take the time, and, and it's very rewarding. Both sides. I mean, I put my reading list up for the film. It's on the site, and a lot of folks were surprised. They were like, "So you? I think I read more secular evolutionists than I did creationists, um, in some instances, or secular books, if you will." Yeah. It's a lot of great data in it. Yeah. Um, and I think that we as Christians have got to realize that it's the Lord's earth. Yeah, there are things we don't know, but we need to study this, and we need to know it. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. That's great. Thomas, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, we really man, appreciate, we it. appreciate it. Hey, take, thanks a lot. We'll talk soon. Take care now. Thank you for listening to Not Your Mama's Christian Podcast. Make sure you subscribe and leave us a nice review. To support the podcast, you can go to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash nymchristianpodcast. Music provided by The Revived. Check them out at therevivedmusic.com. Stay connected with us by liking us on Facebook and following us on Twitter and Instagram.